30 degrees Celsius, some 77% relative humidity. And that was the news and the weather from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Philip Wong. On today's program, we'll look at uh, Hong Kong's wealth gap after a new Oxfam report suggested that economic inequality here is at its worst in a decade. It found the richest 10% make almost 60 times more than the poorest. A fifth of the population were below the poverty line as of the first quarter of the year. And economically inactive households, mostly elderly people and homemakers, make up a large proportion of the bottom 10%. The charity says the government can help by creating more jobs for the underprivileged and by reviewing Hong Kong's minimum wage every year to make sure it keeps up with inflation. So, do you think the wealth gap is at its widest in a decade? Is inequality getting worse? What's the best way to address the problem? After 9.45, we'll dive into the metaverse and see how universities here are using the virtual space to educate their students. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Silai Shan, the Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization, and Professor Maggie Lau, Acting Director of Lingnan University's Center for Social Policy and Social Change. Good morning, Ms. Si. Hey, good morning. Good morning, and uh, good morning, Professor Lau. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, Miss um, C, the latest Oxfam report says the wealth gap here is the worst in a decade. What do you think of that finding? Has inequality in Hong Kong worsened? Yeah, it actually is uh, not surprising to, to know that the gap between the uh, rich and the poor is uh, widening because uh, under the pandemic, many people that are unemployed and even now, uh, they are uh, resumed uh, employment, but some of them, they are salary reduced it or uh, did not change it. So, uh, and some of them, even their working hour reduced. Uh, so, uh, so the situation is quite uh, uh, not uh, not uh, very good for for those uh, under underprivileged. Yeah. All right, but what about the actual situation? I know SoCo it has uh, social workers, outreach teams. What have you been seeing in the community? Yeah, I think we uh, we do have more people they uh, employed, but the problem is uh, uh, some of them they are only uh, employed as a part-time worker, so uh, working uh, they don't have enough uh, uh, salary, and the others um, they have a full-time job, but the payment uh, the wage is low, and as we know the uh, minimum wage is low, and and actually and is is uh, far from the uh, decent living uh, for uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, Miss so, C, yeah, yeah, please continue. And then some of them, even they are still debit because in pandemic, they borrow the money from government and from their friends or from their loan company. Yeah, Miss C, so I, I, when we talk about the wealth gap, one of the things that we look into and it's concerning is obviously poverty. But I'm also curious mm-hmm. to know about, you know, the impact of the wealth gap in terms of what it means to society and economy. Can you just talk a little bit about that too? Uh, I... Yeah, I think it's uh, for those uh, uh, underprivileged. Is uh, they they actually they get a catch up, and because of inflation and also uh, uh, the, uh, some of the shops actually they that or the company they they're going to close, 
and there are many things happening. So maybe some big company they can develop very well because they can sustain in pandemic. But after pandemic, actually some of the company or the shop, the restaurant, they get closed or going to to be closed. So because their economy is not really really resumed, and even you can see the restaurant, they are not as full as before. So some of our workers, they're working in restaurants. They only they cannot have a full-time job. They only have a, a few-hour job, this kind of thing. All right. P- P- Professor Lau, what's your what's your thought on that? Uh, Miss C, she's saying uh, she's not surprised that the wealth gap has worsened. Um, and uh, we're just looking at uh, the impact of this widening wealth gap. What's your take on that? I am totally agree with uh, Ms. C um, comments because the pandemic recession actually, uh, especially for the surface, surfacing industry, um, we, we all know that uh, even though the economic resumed, but um, some of the uh, restaurants actually shut down after the pandemic. And um, it seems to us that the, the workers, uh, especially for the low-skilled workers, they, they employment is not quite uh, stable at this stage. Right. And Missy, um, we've been talking about uh, mainly about uh, workers who have part-time jobs. Um, according to the Oxfam study, the, the bottom 10% of low-income households uh, are uh, economically inactive households, and uh, mm. a large proportion of that is made up of elderly people and homemakers. Missy, um, is that, uh, I mean, have you been seeing an increase in the number of uh, poor elderly people as well? Of course, it's sad to, to see the increasing number of people, the elderly or the homemaker. Actually, we have many, uh, um, uh, actually, the rate of poverty rate of poverty, uh, elderly is always the highest. Of course, the government always said that some of them may be not so poor because we only count their income. But I think even they not so poor, but they are not so rich because if you are, have many property or investment, it will reflect in, in your income although you don't go to as a worker. And the other is uh, the homemaker. Actually, we have many housewives. They they want to go to work, but they, they don't have no one can take care of their children. So I think the child care, we need to develop a lot. And then um, also the how to help their uh, children study so that the housewife, they can go to work. Miss mm, C, uh, so... I want to focus on the elderly people because a lot of these elderly people, especially if they're in poverty, they really rely on their savings. And I guess they don't have a lot of savings to spend mm-hmm. on. And also those elderly that don't have family to support them, that they're really mm-hmm. in a vulnerable situation, situation, aren't they? Yeah, I think some of them, actually, they, um, we have around 120 thousand of elderly there on CSA mm-hmm. and they already count as above the poverty line actually and then uh, but we have you have we have around uh, um, uh, quite more people there uh, uh, living on the um, uh, we call it the senior uh, allowance yeah yeah and that is uh, more elderly but the income is only four thousand mm-hmm. or um, those already have their mean tax for them so um, the income is not enough to meet the uh, basic living unless they have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually in the market, there are um, fewer uh, employers willing to employ those elderly people after the pandemic. So we have many um, elderly that want to work but, but cannot get a job. And even actually um, those above 65, actually the company, they cannot buy their uh, 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 
labor insurance, mm. so they are not willing to employ them. So I think there should be some reform to help these elderly. Yeah, they can have maybe can get the allowance, but the government at the same time has some subsidy. It will be easier for them to to have to relieve the poverty. And just continuing on with this, then I mean, for the elderly, especially those that are having difficulties finding jobs, what kind of support can we give them, or what kind of support can the government? Yeah, do? I think for those unable to work, they should actually. <clears throat> there's a long queue, uh, long waiting time, <clears throat> waiting queue, queue for uh, elderly care, elderly home. Actually, um, we don't have enough this kind of service, so the government they should increase the service to help them. So can have a good uh, care uh, from the committee, or what we have have uh, uh, can have uh, some uh, for them to, to employ in the private market or as a committee service. So to support temporary before they can get a seat in every home. Right. And let's go back to uh, Professor Lau. Um, we've talked about the, the current situation, the uh, widening wealth gap and the problems faced by the elderly. Um, what do you think are the main reasons for this? I mean, apart from uh, a result of the pandemic, what other factors are, are, are there? Uh, you mean the uh, old age poverty? Yeah, for old age poverty and for the increasing wealth gap. Uh, I think um, the main issue is... Uh, First of all, before the pandemic, they have already, or oh, close to um, poverty, some of them is already received the MINTAS uh, financial support. After the pandemic, I think um, their family uh, may, may not carry on their support. This is another issue. So, I mean, as a whole, family support, um, which is um, maybe weakened after the pandemic, is uh, one of the issues that uh, the government have to go into. And what about the uh, uh, issue of migration? How big a factor is that when it comes to uh, the widening wealth gap problem? Uh, you mean the migrant um, who live in poverty? I mean migration, as in uh, some people maybe uh, moving somewhere else away from Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, I think um, for migration who move beyond Hong Kong, it, it, it's not only just focus on financial and, and also the income support as well. As just um, Mrs. mentioned, uh, they may need some um, um, income service which, um, for, for the elderly people. Right. Okay. And yeah. uh, and uh, Missy, um, I, I know you need to rush off soon, but uh, before um, before you do that, uh, just one final question: um, mm. What measures would you like to see in next month's uh, policy address? Uh, measures that you believe can help tackle this uh, problem, this wealth gap problem, this uh, aging poor um, issue. I mean, apart from increasing uh, childcare that you yeah, mentioned before, uh, we would like to see uh, the government that will reform the. Um, uh, calculation of <laughs> minimum wage and then we increase the minimum wage to uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, living wage and then uh, we would like to see that they uh, have support um, service for the elderly and increase the, the subsidy for the elderly and reform those low income uh, uh, subsidy scheme and uh, more support and subsidy for those uh, uh, children and uh, um, uh, faster uh, um, uh, to build a uh, uh, public housing, transitional housing, and large housing, and because housing also is a very important uh, 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 factor to uh, relieve poverty. 
All right, uh, Ms. C, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Sile Shan, the Deputy Director of SOCO. And uh, Professor Lau, what do you think of uh, Ms. C's suggestions? I mean, she just suggested increasing the minimum wage and uh, and uh, tr- uh, making uh, and introducing a living wage. Is that practical? I mean, we, we've, I mean, RTHK has spoken to like a professor of economics earlier, and then he said increasing minimum wage will also um, affect small businesses, and maybe more businesses will end up uh, closing down. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think at least the, the minimum wage should be covered. Those uh, apart from the uh, sub, um, make sure they they meet the limit, and also they should um, at least and and. Uh, allow the people who who can participate in the um, social activities as well, because uh, in principle at the moment the the support at the, uh, for the financial support is just cover very minimal um, standards. Mm. Professor Lau, mm. uh, we were mm. earlier talking about elderly people. Um, let's shift a little bit on to um, the mothers. You know, those who mm. are at home um, taking care of their children um, or, or their or their parents, for example. But they actually want to go to work. So why mm. why is it difficult for them to to find a job or to go out and find jobs? I think it's something related to whether they could find some affordable and quality childcare services, because especially for the younger age child, um, um, the 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 um, the mother have to take or or the caregiver have to take extra care to those uh, kids. So I think um, the the um, quality childcare is is quite important, which can. And encourage the, the um, mothers to, or caregivers to go out to, for work. What kind of uh, support would you suggest to, to help uh, these mothers? Um, first is um, whether there's a sufficient um, childcare service provided by the NGOs and um, the support uh, maybe um, apart from the NGO, maybe whether there's some community um, support maybe within the neighborhood. I think um, this is another alternative we, we could consider. And you, based on, um, you know, in terms of daycare facilities, do we actually have, have enough daycare facilities for, 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 you know, these mothers to like, you know, bring, to take their ch- children into? Uh, actually, um, um, if we refer to Upstream report, they has already uh, articulated the data, which um, the the ratio between, um, I mean, the for for uh, how to utilize the the childcare service, it seems um, is quite insufficient. So I think it's um, the point that the government um, should address. Mm. I mm. I actually want to. Just talk a little bit more about like mm-hmm. the, the the huge inequality in in general, because mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just like obviously when I saw the report, you know, the richest ten percent make almost sixty times more than the poorest. Mm-hmm. Initially, I felt wow, that's that's crazy. But then mm-hmm. then later on, I I just kept thinking about okay, but what if okay, let's say in a, in a world where the poorest they're actually meeting the minimum living standards, right? So in that mm-hmm. case, it doesn't matter how rich the richer gets, does it? Uh, I think question. when we talk about inequality, um, it's talking about whether the the person have the opportunities. Um, uh, whether because if we um, if we couldn't provide the, the opportunity um, in terms of income, 
uh, is one example. Mm. But um, you could see that um, even some of them pay a great effort to 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 the labor market, but they could just earn very minimal. I see. And we also talked yeah. about, you know, we t- talked about elderly, you know, they're, they're, they're very vulnerable and also, you know, mothers who actually want to go out to work. Are there any mm-hmm. other groups as well that we should be uh, concerned about or look into? I think the other group that I'm uh, familiar with uh, would be um, the family with the younger kids and also the uh, ethnic minority groups. Can you talk a little bit more? Because uh, we, we're just now fo- t- topic, uh, looking into ethnic minority. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about them? I think uh, for ethnic minority, uh, which I get come across uh, from our research, is uh, I think that language barrier is one of the quite popular issues that we have already low. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, I think uh, whether we um, maybe um, the the school teachers or parents um, try to provide them some aspiration and help them to uh, have the future plan, I think it's quite important, especially for the um, kids uh, at the adolescent. Uh, I think if we give them some planning, future plan is a better way uh, because if they have to well prepare for their future, um, at least they can avoid um, to living in poverty. Right. And I just want to go back to uh, the uh, issue of uh, elderly in poverty. Um, mm. Professor, what kind of um, elderly people do you think need the most help? I mean, are elderly people who are waiting for public housing in need of more assistance than others? Uh, you mean they, they, they are waiting? This is to be first priority? Yes. I mean, the elderly people who, who are actually poor, but they don't live in public housing. Uh Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yes, have you? I mean, have you done any research in this area? Um, not really, but uh, I think it's uh, necessary. Oh. All right, and uh, let's yeah. go back to uh, the the issue of uh, childcare services. Um, you're, you're saying that uh, the government maybe should offer more um, assistance to to mothers who uh, who want to uh, join the workforce. And uh, what do you think of the current uh, school based uh, after school care service pilot scheme? Uh, I think it's a good good start, but uh, it should be extended um, to uh, the situation to help the, the parents to um, meet their needs. Yeah. And uh, earlier, you also, uh, when we were talking about uh, the, the suggestion by Oxfam to raise the minimum uh, wage again, um, you seem to support it. But then, like I mentioned, uh, we, we interviewed a economics professor earlier, and he uh, he said uh, it may uh, he, he's worried that it may affect small business and it may force more of them to close down. And uh, instead, he suggested instead of raising the minimum wage, he suggested uh, that the government should uh, increase uh, the family allowance instead to uh, supplement income from wages. What do you think of that idea? I think um, how would be makes up the, the component of a living kind of living wage? I think uh, we could have further discussion, but uh, at least they have the intention to top up um, the, the earnings of the uh, workers. I think it would be the good idea. Right, and when we look at uh, the the possibility or the suggestion by Oxfam to introduce a living wage, um, mm. can you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, I mean, is it uh, um, popular in Hong Kong? I mean, is this uh, is living wage uh, 
the, the, the awareness of living wage uh, um, good enough in Hong Kong among the, the companies? Uh, I, I, um, I, I don't think so, um, because there's has already a lot of debate about minimum wage. But I think it would be a good time that uh, we, we can see the, the living wage. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, uh, Professor, I just want to mm-hmm. get the listeners and myself to get a more understanding of what really poverty means in Hong Kong. Because when I think about poverty, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I've watched a lot of uh, shows on, on, on uh, many underdeveloped cities and countries. Mm-hmm. But what about in Hong Kong? What does it mean for someone to be in poverty in Hong Kong? Is it just simply someone who can't afford to find a place to stay or can't afford to, you know, uh, have like a, a proper meal? What, what does it mean? I think when we refer, uh, at least for my understanding, the poverty is not limited to the uh, income, but also whether they uh, should cover uh, the diverse diversify um, needs. For instance, um, they, they, um, whether they could uh, have some uh, social activity, for example, for the children and after school activity, um, which the family can support. I mean, uh, apart from this, I mean, the, 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 the definition should move beyond the income, mm-hmm. but uh, whether the um, financial situation can cover to move beyond um, to to allow those people to uh, participate in the communities. And in terms of uh, social support or social uh, policies in mm. Hong Kong, um, do we actually have you know enough policies to help support them? Like, wh- where are we in comparison to other uh, countries and cities? Um, we we uh, for instance, Miss um, C uh, just mentioned about the uh, housing issue. Mm. Um, this is uh, because uh, when I talk about uh, move beyond income, is uh, whether the the living condition is good enough is another issue. I mean, when we talk about um, policy support uh, or policy, we should. Uh, Thing in kind of multi-dimension, which is not only um, financial support or single out any uh, uh, one in, uh, item, and then um, try to more comprehensive uh, to look into those uh, policy response. I think is much more appropriate. Uh, are there any uh, case studies that we can we can follow and and just I guess in other countries like the U.S. or Canada or, or the U.K. I think UK um, has already, uh, or even Australia, they has already um, um, extended the, the research and then try to inform the policy. Um, I think um, the housing issue, the uh, uh, financial poor issues is uh, is global issue. But um, whether or not we we have the intention to adopt a multi-dimensional approach is very important. Right. And from yeah. the Oxfam's, uh, from Oxfam's report, we, it says that uh, the wealth gap here has widened. Do you think that is also the situation worldwide? Mm, yes, I think so. Like uh, after the pandemic, so, so mainly the, the main reason is because of the pandemic then, I guess? Um, I think pandemic will, will falsify, intensify the situation. Right. Yeah. And, and looking yeah. at uh, the, the past year, what do you think of the government's effort in dealing with the issue of uh, poverty uh, here? 
I think uh, nowadays when we talk about uh, poverty alleviation, I think uh, it should be getting more in uh, cross-sectoral collaboration. Uh, because um, uh, when I refer back to the Ostrom report, it makes one um, recommendation that um, recently the government promoted is uh, try to have the pilot scheme for the community living room. I think um, this is a good idea but which can uh, make good use of the community resources to 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 solve the problems. That's oh. why I think um, cross-sectoral collaboration is uh, quite important to address the poverty issues. All right, uh, Professor Lau, uh, we're about to take a short break for the news. Um, let's continue our discussion afterwards in around two minutes' time when we will um, be joined by Timothy Ma, Chief Consultant at uh, NGO Consultancy, Mark and Wine Co. Now, if you want to ask our guests questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here Here's a quick look at the weather, mainly cloudy with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Sunny intervals during the day with highs of around 32 degrees in the urban areas. Winds light becoming moderate east to northeasterlies. And uh, right now it's 30 degrees, relative humidity 77%. It's now 9.30 with a new summary. Here's Stu Pryke. Rupert Murdoch is stepping down from running one of the world's most powerful media empires at the age of 92. He's leaving his roles as chair of Fox News Corp, and Rupert Murdoch spent more than 70 years developing his own brand of right-wing populist content. But Bruce Dover, a former News Corp executive and author of Rupert Murdoch's China Adventures, says success in China eluded him. At talks in the White House, President Biden has assured his visiting Ukrainian counterpart of the United States' continued military support in the conflict with Russia. He promised that American battle tanks would be in Ukraine by next week. And the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has urged India to cooperate with an investigation into the murder of a Canadian Sikh activist. His claim earlier this week that the Indian government may have been involved in the killing on Canadian soil has triggered a diplomatic row. And we'll have more news and weather for you at 10 o'clock. Monkeypox symptoms include fever, swollen lymph nodes, mouth lesions and rashes, and will usually resolve in two or three weeks. To prevent monkeypox infection, refrain from close contact with those suspected of being infected. Avoid contact with infected animals or contaminated items when visiting affected places. If contact is required, wear protective gear and wash hands. Those at higher risk may receive the vaccine. If symptoms start, see a doctor promptly. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. A new regulatory regime for the travel industry has been in full force from September the 1st, 2022. Travel agent, tourist guide and tour escort are regulated by the Travel Industry Ordinance. If a licensee commits any irregularities, the Travel Industry Authority will act according to the law. A travel agent must hold a valid license to do business. Always patronize a licensed agent to safeguard your interests. Please visit tia.org.hk for more. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Philip Wong and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Professor Maggie Lau, Acting Director of Lingnan University's Centre for Social Policy and Social Change. And joining us on the line now is Timothy Ma, Chief Consultant at NGO Consultancy, Markham Wah & Co. Good morning, Mr. Ma. 
Mr. Ma, good morning. Mr. Ma, are you there? All right. Yes, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on That's the program. Um, so what is your view of uh, the wealth gap in Hong Kong? I mean, earlier before the news, we heard from Silei Shan. She said it's uh, no surprise that uh, Oxfam's report found that uh, the, the wealth gap is widening. In your view, is it really much uh, worse than before? Well, I think the issue is that increase of the uh, price of the food and also the daily living expenses making elderly people or even the poor family facing the great challenges. Even uh, compared with the pre-COVID time, the situation is more severe. Yeah. Right. And uh, what do you think, I mean, what do you think the, the government can do or should do about it? I mean, to, to improve the uh, situation? Well, I think it's not only the government has to do, but I think also the commercial sectors, particularly the producer or the sale uh, market, need to really consider how to make our poor living family can be affordable to the daily living. So I think there, there should be two hands. One is the government to uh, consider to increase the so-called daily living subsidy for those who are uh, underprivileged people, and particularly to re review the criteria of the assistance, because now there is some, some people who, particularly for the elderly people, who may be asset rich but cash poor, they are getting their poor living, but actually also malnutrited or even having the uh, uh, less uh, taking up of the affordable living. And then the second part is the how about can be a commercial sector could consider for those who are on government subsidies, living families can give a discount so that they can be more affordable to the increasing uh, inflation products. Yeah. Mm, that's that's quite interesting. So aside from government, you mentioned commercial side should also support as well. Um, so so my question is for you then: Have have NGOs been able to work uh, well with uh, the commercial sector into helping out with uh, people in poverty? I think nowadays uh, we can see a number of uh, commercial sector like uh, Fairwood or some uh, retail chain shops. They have partnership with the NGOs to offer special discount or even cash coupon or food coupon to those unaffordable families. But I think the scale is far, far small, not good enough to cover all the, as uh, the report said, that more than one million people are mm. under poverty. And then I think that there should be more and more commercial sector to, to join hand together with the government and the NGO to give a full of care to the those are needy families, yeah. And uh, you just mentioned uh, daily living subsidy. Can you tell me a, a bit bit more about that? How would that work? Well, I think there are two ways. One is uh, the transport uh, transport ex uh, expenses very expensive in Hong Kong compared with other countries. So I think to enable our poor family can well uh, be obtaining their income. Uh, fairly and also lessen their expenses on the traffic. Can our so-called transport allowance can be more flexible and also more sensitive to the need of the poor family? And then this is one way that to enable their employment, enable their income. Yeah. And then second thing, um, if they uh, there's kids that attending schools, although uh, school fees are free of charge, but other related expenses is also very expensive. So can there be more provision for enabling the kids, the, the, the students, to be more affordable 
to uh, join other non-school activities like other families. And thirdly, I think for the poor elderly, I think can we really have more community canteen to provide a quality food to support the poor elderly to keep, uh, have uh, maintain their health so that to cut their expenses on the medication. All right. And Professor Lau, what what do you think about this uh, suggestion of a daily living subsidy and a community canteen for for the elderly? Uh, I think it's a good idea because I think it will save uh, the elderly uh, daily expenses. And um, and also um, the other issue is they can get some um, social connection with their friends in the um, um, dining room. I think it's a good idea, too. And Mr. Ma, uh, earlier in the program, we were yes. talking about um, areas where we should be concerned about in terms of poverty. One is uh, the elderly. The second is the homemakers, like in particular, you know, the mothers who need to stay home and, and take care of the children or, or, or the parents. And third is the ethnic minorities. Are there any are- any other areas you feel that we should be looking into as well? Well, I think if we can uh, provide more uh, employment opportunities for for, for the elders to take care of the uh, kids that the mothers have to uh, mm. not go to work but take care of the kids. That means we can release the mothers. Uh... Oh, that, that's, that's that's actually a very nice suggestion. I think that solves uh, what's... Oh, I think Mr. Ma is on uh, hold. It's all right. So that's a... That's a... Uh, of these families can also activate the economic cycle. Yeah. Yes, please. All right, and uh, yeah. and uh, Professor Lau, what do you think of that suggestion? I mean, that that's more like a traditional um, way of dealing with this, right? I think many many years ago, that's what uh, grandparents used to do. They used to uh, take care of their grandkids for for the, the for their son or, or daughter, right? Uh, I think it, um, if the the grandparent physically is okay, I think it still can um, at one alternative because. Um, some of the family will rely on the uh, foreign domestic helper. If the grandparents uh, can provide support, that would be the great idea. Right. And uh, Mr. Ma, I just want to go back to uh, the daily living subsidy you're, you're suggesting. If that was to go ahead, I mean, uh, who would actually um, be eligible and uh, how much uh, subsidy should they get? Well, I think we can refer to the uh, so-called the daily living index. And for those who are below that index, that means they need the support for the daily living subsidies to ensure that they can be maintained and the normative health, normative uh, in input of food, and also normative income for their daily expenses. I think we need to review the current uh, CSSA criteria and because I think that the society has been changing, the economy has been changing. And then I think it would be a good time for us to review uh, the entire uh, government subsidized uh, system so that we can also engage uh, not only academia, but other NDO and the frontline social workers, and in particularly the, the beneficiary, that's the elders and the poor family that they need the, this type of daily living subsidies can form a organizing committee to work together to review the entire case and then to set up a new guideline for the allowance. And of yeah. course, in this kind of review, it will take a long time. Um, what would you like to see in the, the, the policy address that uh, you think may help uh, with this problem, Mr. Ma? Well, I hope that our CE can really put this uh, issue as 
part of his policy of uh, making our Hong Kong to be a so-called uh, lucky, a higher lucky sense or higher fortune sense of uh, community. I think it would be a very indication that if the government put it in the policy address, that means we will start the entire process to consider how to better help our poor families. You know, when we're talking about um, this high um, discrepancy in, in wealth and also poverty, one phrase pops up in my mind, that's the rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer. I mean, in, ter- in terms of the, the income gap, how hard is it to actually reduce it? Uh, let's start with Mr. Ma. What, what do you think? Is it, is, it, is, it e- is it easy to reduce it or is it actually very difficult? Well, I think it's not an untouchable uh, challenge, but I think as I mentioned, if we can deploy who are workable and who are willing to contribute to support other families' needs, that means we can put it as an active economic cycle that we offer job opportunities for the retired elderly, for the uh, family mothers, and then, then the, 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 the entire situation will be activated. And then the uh, poverty issue can be resolved gradually. I think it, we need to... Uh, think about the whole supply chain. That is how we make the best use of the retired employability of the elderly and also who are uh, need to take care of the kids inside the family but not can be working to work together so that we can release the uh, so-called labor power to back to the uh, market. I think you know, all know that now they, in Hong Kong we have a severe shortage of manpower in different industries. And if we can release the mothers who have the ability to work by uh, taking uh, the care by the retired elders, that means that we can activate the whole economy and also can in finally can resolve the poverty gap. Yeah. And what about uh, Professor Lau? What are your thoughts on, on this in regards to reducing uh, the income gap? How challenging is it? Uh, I think... Uh uh, as I mentioned before, I think uh, we we have to fully utilize the resources from the communities, um, and and as Ms. Ma mentioned, uh, get involved in the uh, private sectors. But uh, what I think is, um, we should also can get uh, get involved in the the resources from the community, which like uh, whether there's uh, something uh, we can um, articulate that for the um, child care. Of course, this will get involved some, um, uh, apart from the grandparents, whether there's other uh, kind of neighborhood um, support for the child care and other alternatives. Yeah. Uh, all right. And uh, I have an email here from Mike, and uh, I, I think he's, he's uh, sort of responding to suggestions uh, made by Mr. Ma earlier. You suggested maybe uh, different programs, maybe different programs. You suggested daily living subsidy, uh, community canteens or and uh, other programs that uh, the government can introduce maybe to or, or, or commercial groups they can introduce to help uh, tackle this problem of poverty. But uh, Mike here, he's saying the more government programs you depend on, the less you have control over your own life. And that's uh, from Mike. So he seems to think uh, poverty may be a problem that can be solved by individuals. Mr. Ma? Yep. I, I think I, I do agree that individuals also need to have the intention and also aspiration to resolve their own problem. But I don't think that the poverty problem is an individual issue. It's a social issue. It's a system issue that we need to work with the entire society comprising government, community, private, and individual. 
What about education then? Um, I think Mike just brought up a good point that I didn't think about. In terms of like educating the young people who are already in, I guess, you know, in, in poverty, uh, education is an impor- important way to help them move away from it, right? Well, I think education is a long-term uh, human development target. And at, we, we always mention that lifelong learning, not only mm. for the uh, young or the kids, but also the entire society, entire community need to continue their education to enhance the working capacity and capability. So I think this is a, a total uh, challenge of the society as well. To me, uh, education can be part of the solution to poverty but it's not the immediate action. All right, uh, Mr. Ma, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program. That's uh, Timothy Ma, Chief Consultant at NGO Consultancy, Markham Wa & Co. Many thanks also to Professor Maggie Lau, Acting Director of Lingnan University's Centre for Social Policy and Social Change. It's now 9.45 and it's a time to move on to our next topic. And it's about how universities are using the virtual space to educate their students. And we'll find out more right after this. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Universities are collaborating to develop a virtual reality space known as the Metaverse to enhance learning for students. Users will be able to work together in real time to solve problems and learn. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Professor Eugene Wong, the Director of Hang Seng University's Virtual Reality Centre. Good morning, Professor Wong. Uh, good morning, Janice. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, can you first tell us more about what this virtual reality space or, or metaverse is? Um, actually, um, if for virtual realities, uh, uh, we, uh, users, uh, say for some students or even the uh, industrial practitioners, um, they can uh, interact with the VR scenes. Um, for example, not only tour, but also uh, can even do further like say uh, what I'm going to say later um, uh, is about the metaverse uh, that in that uh, more people, different people uh, in different locations or even in different parts of the world can join together access the same systems uh, using different VR devices even and then uh, doing some collaborative uh, team uh, work or learning together. So this is, uh, they can even use the avatars for those young uh, generations. So uh, these are some of the uh, what uh, some of the examples which um, VR and metaverse could help on the higher education. Mm. And you mentioned about you know being able to connect with people from other places or cities and, and countries. So how different is that when we do it with Zoom or like Google Meet, for example? I mean, like the, those people there, when they meet up, they can still also collaborate. They have, I guess, a whiteboard to share ideas. How, how different is that from between doing um, that? And Zoom the, is uh, like you can see at the con- um, uh, meetings or a conference that you can see, like say, uh, um, um, meet 
through the video conferencing, you can see a face. But what here is talking about uh, um, that we all together, like Janice or Philip or me, uh, uh, go into an immersive systems, which uh, immersive environment, um, say going to a, a warehouse or air cargo terminal, or even um, uh, a reconstructing a lost heritage of uh, uh, architectural uh, building. That is uh, what also um, VR or metaverse can bring to us, which uh, we can immerse to an environment, or we can base on the current object, say you, if you're talking about AR, uh, augmented reality, uh, we can base on a real object and build on a virtual object. All right. So, 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 so yeah. Professor, is it like um, when we play virtual reality games where you have a, where you have to wear headsets, and then, but then you might be in a setting where maybe you're on a spaceship or on, you're on a, a strange planet, that kind? Uh, yeah, similar. Um, you can wear a, either you can wear a headset, just like you can buy from some of the uh, retail stores, or you, you can also um, go into, like say we have provided a, what we call VR cave systems. That is like a cube uh, uh, or even a dome shape. Um, the most common one is the cube, uh, and then uh, we can walk into, like, into, it, into the cube. For example, we have uh, 10 to 20 people walking into that, inside that cube, and then uh, that cube shows by projectors or LED screens, then we can immerse in that environment. Say, the, uh, the first scene, you go into a container terminals, the second, uh, and then you can learn the container operations, or the second scenes, you can go into the uh, Tiger Bomb Garden, say, uh, which we have recently built, uh, looking into the art, culture, heritage, and even some of the lost heritage, which has been demolished, like uh, some of the ancient tower and some of the what we what they call the ten courts of hell which is previously in the garden so this this is different uh, this is what we uh, uh what you could make use of the head mount display uh, or the vr vr uh, cave systems have the u universities been using um these two methods that you're talking about in their courses already yes uh, uh recently we have a project uh, which is it is a three-year project actually starting just before, just the start of the pandemic, and then we finished just after, at, at the end of the pandemic. Mm. So um, our colleagues, we joined the, uh, with uh, four, the other three institutions, worked together, uh, including our, the, my, our university, Hansen University, Hong Kong Junior College, Hong Kong U Space, and Hong Kong U, which we developed three themes. One is about logistics, the second is about uh, heritage, and the third one is about journalism. So. Um, for the logistics one, uh, we uh, collaborate with some of the uh, um, express company, D uh, DHL, and also some uh, in a quick forwarding company like Carry uh, like Logistics. We have, based on their blueprint, we build the same one-to-one -one model and then uh, uh, develop some of the in-depth uh, learning context in each station of the warehouse, um, like air cargo screening, which is uh, recently Hong Kong has just turned from several percent to 100% air cargo screening. So this is um, a new thing for the industries and the academic. So make, make use of this uh, metaverse uh, environment. Um, different uh, colleagues can go into the stations, the, the uh, virtual reality scenes in different roles, and then they perform the operations together. They can learn this uh, about these kind of different complex tasks. And yeah. Yes. Right. So, so you picked uh, logistics, heritage, and journalism. Uh, why, why were they selected? Um, actually, we consider um, uh, 
the, the programs which is offered in these four institutions, which we try to maximize the number of students that can benefit on it. So, uh, and also based on the expertise uh, of the institutions as well as uh, expertise of the project members. So we come up with uh, heritage, which actually including architecture, art, culture, and uh, logistics, which is uh, focusing on the air cargo screening and uh, warehouse operations. Uh, and then for the journalism, we built, we rebuilt uh, an earthquake incident, which is in the 2008, and uh, we uh, uh, make it for the journalism students to practice those uh, journalism live news reporting skills um, in a disaster environment, which is often be, uh, several incidents happen at the same time, like a victim calling for help, uh, aftershock, uh, after after shock and also some buildings collapse. So uh, what should you do when you are you are in a live news reporting? So this is also the the spirit of uh, what we do in the journalism theme. All right. Well, that sounds uh, pretty fun. And, and what's been the response of uh, students so far? Uh, you mean the response of the users and students? Yes. In the, I think it's very positive uh, because uh, for the industry side, um, actually, uh, they are also in need of this. Uh, technologies and uh, initiatives, uh, and uh, it is also have a lot on the training time, training course, and also um, the the training site the need. So uh, uh, and the international uh, associations on the aviation side, they also promote competence-based training. So this also uh, this serves a lot for this, and for the students, um, actually um, they they have not much chance to go into the these uh, air, um, cargo terminals or complex warehouse operations because we have, for our side, actually we have 160 graduates each year. So you can imagine, we cannot bring, always bring those students to the, to the on-site to learn. So this could give them the opportunities to, to learn um, anytime, make use of these systems. And some complex operations, like um, we call cargo load planning and um, as X-ray screening, this needs collaborative team work and uh, some some different skills in different uh, roles like uh, dangerous goods handling they have different certifications so um, some of them when they find the cargo which is a smoke coming out or some light coming out which is not short-circuited uh, he cannot open this cargo and then he need to report and then another one need to come in and open and check it so this needs collaborative work as well so um, uh, students find it very interesting, and the young generations, they like to use uh, new technologies to assist them to learn and to understand more, and uh, uh, through the immersive experience and the practicals, they can practice, make use of these systems. So um, they have, we have assessment as well, so they make them to know, un know and understand more. Right. You just said uh, many students have uh, found this uh, very interesting. Are you worried that uh, once uh, people start to uh, use this learning method, they'll find uh, normal lectures boring? Um, I think it's, uh, it needs both. Because uh, normal lectures, sometimes you need some uh, theories behind to build up their knowledge as well. And um, uh, maybe maybe you're right. So, so maybe <laughs> in the, uh, 10 or uh, 50 years later, Maybe the education environment is the different. Make use of we, we, when we walk into the classroom is immersive already. Maybe. 
Well, but, it depends uh, on the professor as well. the lectures. Um, yeah. So what you're saying now, and I, I think I, I, I can see, I can see it. It's also, I mean, these uh, this metaverse is really used as a supplement to the courses that the students yeah, yeah, are, right, are right. taking. But yeah. I, I'm just thinking about, I'm just, I'm just going a little bit crazy right now. I'm thinking about Star Wars or, <laughs> or yeah. uh, Star Trek, where really they use the virtual headset to do the entire course. Do you see this happening in the future? I mean, one of the issues for myself, and I'm very curious to know about the students' feedback as well, is when, when, when I wear the headset, because I, I was curious and I tried it myself as well, one of the things that I felt right away is that I wanted to vomit. <laughs> I wanted to vomit because um, oh. yeah, yeah, I was wearing a headset and I felt like I had to move, but I couldn't move. And, and this, this orientation I, made I, me feel I uncomfortable. Think, I think, um, yes, some, um, it depends on uh, every health situation or even different eyesight. It also affects the, the, the one who how it feels. And even the resolutions. Maybe I uh, go looking into a uh, VR cave system, which we see in the projector is more comfortable uh, than looking into a head-mount display because it has a high resolution, mm. right? Right? Or maybe if I, if you, there are some young kids, they, they get used to playing these video games, they might more prefer to use head-mount display because they, they want to have a higher resolutions. So um, it also depends on um, different, uh, different, different people. So uh, different, uh, different and different needs. So uh, you know, everyone is different. But uh, overall, in general, they can use different types of uh, VR uh, device. Um, um, now it's mainly uh, hammer display and uh, VR cave systems. So um, uh, I think uh, at, th at this current, uh, at least few years or in, in this period, um, um, we still uh, uh, like stay playing these kind of uh, immersive uh, uh, educations. It could be a, not a long time. Say we, we cannot possibly about for three hours, okay? because uh, um, I think it might affect the eyesight as well, in terms of me, my, my thoughts, my view, because I'm, I'm also yeah. uh, experienced such a lot, uh, so many years, and uh, healthcare is also one of my major uh, yeah. uh, 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 issues. So um, uh, I think it could be a supplement, okay? maybe around uh, 10, 15 or, or 30 minutes experience. But actually, if you walk into a cave system, it would be much better. You can be a longer, uh, uh, um, longer, longer experience time, longer education time, longer teaching hour uh, durations because it's different from hammer display. We just wear uh, uh, thin glasses, which is similar to what you see in the 3D movies, but it is a VR glasses. That will be much uh, better than what you have experienced on the hammer display because. Um, um, All right. All right, Professor Wong, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks thank again you. for joining us this morning. That's okay, uh, Professor Eugene Wong, the Director of Hang Seng University's Virtual Reality Centre. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and, of course, to our guest presenter, Philip Wong, producer Raphael. And uh, Backchat will be back on Monday with a little bonus. The Asian Games will be in full swing and we'll bring you the latest on the event in Hangzhou. And we'll also do so for the entirety of the Games. Be sure to join us then. Have a great weekend.